Before the advent of kidney transplantation and dialysis, end-stage kidney disease was a death sentence. In 1906, French surgeon Mathieu Jaboulet, against the advice of many of his colleagues, began experimenting by transplanting a pig's kidney into one of his patients. It was not until 1950 that Dr. Richard Lawler performed the first human kidney transplantation. In quick succession, multiple similar attempts followed worldwide. Unfortunately, on all these occasions, the donor kidney would show promising signs of function for a few days, but would then die, taking the patient with it. It was advances in immunosuppression in the 1960s, 1970s, and 1980s, and an improved understanding of kidney rejection that would lead to rapid developments in the field of transplant medicine. We've come a very long way in our understanding of the special considerations in the care of patients with transplanted kidneys. Today, our kidney transplant patient has an acute kidney injury, also known as acute renal allograft dysfunction, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast made by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, For When You're in Trouble, an approach to acute renal allograft dysfunction in kidney transplant patients. Time for our minute physiology. Kidney transplantation is the optimal treatment for end-stage kidney disease. Donor kidneys can come from living donors, related or unrelated, or from deceased donors, either heart beating, donation after brain death, or non-heart beating, aka donation after cardiac death. A preemptive kidney transplantation means getting a kidney before starting dialysis. All patients with advanced and progressive CKD with kidney failure risk equation at two years, KFRE2, greater than or equal to 25%, and EGFR less than 20 milliliters per minute per 1.73 meters squared, should be referred six to 12 months prior to anticipated dialysis initiation to be evaluated for possible preemptive live donor kidney transplantation. This is because preemptive kidney transplantation is associated with improved survival and clinical outcomes compared with transplantation after dialysis. Organs are allocated by blood group and tissue typing by human leukocyte antigens, HLA. The major ones are HLA A, B, and DR antigens. We all have two of each of these, one from each parent. The best possible matches are A, B, and DR identical, which is associated with graft survival advantage and lower risk of rejection. Rejection is an immunologic response by the transplant recipient's immune system to antigens from the donor's kidney. Rejection can affect any of the four components of the kidney, the glomeruli, tubules, interstitium, and or vessels. This can be identified on kidney biopsy. The type and degree of rejection is classified on biopsy using the BAMF criteria. Rejection is divided into cellular, i.e. T-cell mediated rejection, TCMR, and antibody, i.e. B-cell mediated rejection, ABMR. Whether rejection is acute or chronic can be elicited based on the time since transplant and rejection activity on biopsy. In acute T-cell mediated rejection, inflammatory infiltration is seen in the tubules, the interstitium, and or the vasculature. The definition of acute antibody mediated rejection includes the detection of donor-specific antibodies or DSAs against the donor's HLA antigen in the serum, evidence of antibody interaction with vascular endothelium, and evidence of acute tissue injury. DSAs can be pre-existing, placing those patients at higher risk of acute ABMR, or be formed de novo post-transplant. Evidence of antibody endothelial interaction includes peritubular capillary. Evidence of tissue injury is broad and can include acute tubular necrosis, ATM, thrombotic microangiopathy, TMA, 
entomal arteritis, and peritubular capillaritis. All post-transplant patients remain on lifelong immunosuppression to mitigate the risk of rejection. What are the common immunosuppressive agents? Regimens typically include a calcineurin inhibitor, or CNI, either tacrolimus or cyclosporin, prednisone, and an anti-metabolite, mycophenolate mofetil, mycophenolic acid, or less commonly, azathioprine. Each of these agents act on different parts of the T-cell activation and proliferation pathway to prevent rejection. CNIs bind to receptors that inhibit calcineurin and thereby prevent transcription of IL-2, a T-cell growth factor needed for activation. Steroids inhibit the transcription of other cytokines needed for T-cell activation and anti-metabolites inhibit an enzyme, which leads to inhibition of DNA replication in T-cells. Chronic immunosuppression use increases the risk of infections and malignancies post-transplantation, including, for example, non-melanoma skin cancers, lymphoma, and post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder, PTLD, cervical cancer, and colorectal cancers. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach to acute renal allograft dysfunction in kidney transplant patients. An approach to acute renal allograft dysfunction in kidney transplant patients demands thorough history and physical, with specific attention paid to details around the transplant and medications. On chart review, it's important to identify when the transplant occurred, the type of transplant, the etiology of ESRD, and the risk of recurrence post-transplantation the history of Epstein-Barr virus, EBV, or cytomegalovirus, CMV, mispatch between the transplant and the donor, and any history of significant complications in the peri- and post-transplant periods, as well as a previous history of rejection and previous transplantation. Ensure that you consider details on history around adherence with immunosuppression medications, recent illness, oral intake, and volume loss. A broad review of systems paying particular attention to infection symptoms is also crucial. Don't forget about hematuria, dysuria, and graft pain for pyelonephritis. Inquiring about any recent medication changes is another vital component of the history in transplant patients due to drug interactions with immunosuppressive agents. CNIs are especially prone to drug interactions as they are metabolized by cytochrome P450, and serum levels of CNIs can fluctuate when inducers or inhibitors of P450 are started. Inducers cause increased metabolism of CNIs and thereby decrease the CNI level, and the resulting inadequate immunosuppression can precipitate acute rejection. Common inducers include rifampin, isoniazid, carbamazepine, phenytoin, phenobarbital, and St. John's wort. Conversely, inhibitors of P450 result in increased serum CNI levels, which can lead to nephrotoxicity through direct tubular injury, as well as afferent vasoconstriction and decreased kidney blood flow, resulting in ischemia. Common inhibitors include erythromycin, clarithromycin, azole antifungals like fluconazole, verapamil, diltiazem, nicardipine, atorvastatin, HIV protease inhibitors, metoclopramide, and grapefruit. Medication lists should be closely examined for these common culprits, and the transplant team needs to be aware. Avoid stopping them if they have been in use for some time, or starting them without proper consideration and or consultation. Remember to start with vitals and general inspection. You want to make sure you do a thorough volume status exam and remember to look for orthostatic changes, suggesting volume contraction. Uncontrolled hypertension may be an important clue for transplant renal artery stenosis or cyclosporin slash tacrolimus toxicity. Physical exam should include a thorough head-to-toe with a good mental status exam looking for signs of uremia. Palpation of the graft during your abdominal exam and inspection of the incision site can also be helpful although graft tenderness and rejection is less common with modern immunosuppression and monitoring. 
You should also systematically look for any side effects of immunosuppressive medications, which include hirsutism or gum hypertrophy with cyclosporin, alopecia or tremor with tacrolimus, thrush or diarrhea with mycophenolate, lymphadenopathy, and any cancerous skin lesions given increased skin cancer risk in transplant patients due to their immunosuppressed state. Remember that the approach to acute renal allograft dysfunction in kidney transplant patients must also include the general approach we use for AKI in native kidneys, with prerenal, intrarenal, and postrenal causes, with a few extra transplant-specific etiologies. Prerenal causes include hypovolemia, transplant renal artery stenosis slash thrombosis, and CNI toxicity. Postrenal causes include ureteral obstruction, i.e. stones or malignancy, neurogenic bladder dysfunction, as with diabetes, Parkinson's, anticholinergic medications, or spinal cord injury, and bladder outlet obstruction, as with BPH, malignancy, or radiation fibrosis. Perigraft fluid collection, urine, aka urinoma, blood, aka hematoma, or lymph, aka lymphocele, should also be ruled out since they could result in mechanical pressure and obstruction. Never forget rejection as a transplant-specific intrarenal cause for kidney injury. Consider acute rejection, especially in the context of recent reduction in immunosuppressive agents through dose changes or initiation of CYP450-inducer medications and or a recent infection. Specifically, patients are at risk for transplant pyelonephritis and viral nephropathy, including BK virus, which infects most children and can be reactivated in immunosuppressed patients, or CMV, especially when there is a history of donor-recipient mismatch i.e. donor CMV IgG positive, recipient CMV IgG negative. Post-transplantation lymphoproliferative disorder, PTLD, is a rare cause of intrarenal kidney injury. It is a lymphoma-like disease caused by EBV that can occur early or late after transplantation. It can be difficult to histologically differentiate from severe rejection. Finally, always consider recurrent disease on the differential for acute renal allograft dysfunction. This is more common when the pre-transplant end-stage kidney disease was caused by FSGS, membranoproliferative glomerulonephritis, immune complex disease, IgA nephropathy, or membranous nephropathy. A helpful mnemonic to remember the transplant-specific causes of acute renal allograft dysfunction is CRAB, calcineurin inhibitor, CNI, toxicity, rejection and recurrent native kidney disease, anatomical issues such as obstructive nephropathy, and BK nephropathy and other viruses. Now let's talk about the workup. Serum creatinine and urea are essential laboratory tests, and it's important to compare these to the post-transplant nadir and the trend since. Serum electrolytes and a blood gas are important for identifying acute reasons for dialysis. Pre-renal etiologies should be investigated with urine electrolytes and urine creatinine. Investigate for transplant-specific causes of pre-renal injury by checking serum tacrolimus or cyclosporin levels that may be supertherapeutic and cause nephrotoxicity, and performing kidney Doppler ultrasonography if there is a high index of suspicion for transplant renal artery stenosis. Don't forget to do a bladder scan with post-void residual to look for post-renal obstruction, and do an abdominal ultrasound to rule out hydronephrosis. Spin the urine for sediment to look for any cast suggestive of intrarenal pathology. A thorough septic workup should be sent off, including a CBC, blood gas, lactate, CRP, troponin, liver function tests, coagulation studies, blood cultures, urinalysis, and a urine culture to look for infection as a cause of intrarenal pathology. Hemolysis workup and DSA should also be considered if acute rejection or hemolysis were suspected. Further specific imaging looking for other sources of infection should be tailored to the patient's history and physical exam. When you're worried about rejection, remember to send off a stat repeat creatinine, your analysis looking for worsening proteinuria or new hematuria, a CNI level, and BKPCR. 
CMV PCR should also be sent if the patient is at high risk, donor CMV IgG positive, recipient negative, or in the setting of diarrhea. With a history of diarrhea, stool should also be sent for PCR, culture, parasites, and C. diff. EBV PCR should also be sent off given its association with post-transplant lymphoproliferative disorder. The diagnosis of rejection requires a kidney biopsy. When there is no clear etiology based on your initial investigations, a kidney biopsy should be performed. Given that rejection can be difficult to clinically differentiate from other causes like BK virus nephropathy or PTLD, there tends to be a low threshold to do a kidney biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. Remember that whenever you approach any patient with kidney injury, transplant or not, you must systemically rule out any acute indications for dialysis. AEIOU is a helpful mnemonic to keep in mind. Refractory acidosis, electrolyte abnormalities, especially hyperkalemia, certain intoxicants, refractory volume overload, and uremia are all indications for urgent dialysis. Time to talk about treatment. Treatment of acute renal allograft dysfunction in the kidney transplant patient needs to address the underlying cause, as is the case with AKI in other settings. Postrenal causes may require urology consultation depending on the level of obstruction. Remember to have a low threshold for involving transplant nephrologists and transplant pharmacists in the management of renal graft dysfunction in these patients. Treatment of rejection depends on the type and grade of rejection. Treatment of acute TCMR involves shutting down the T-cell response using pulse steroids and lymphocyte-depleting agents like thymoglobulin, rabbit antithymocyte globulin. Lower grades of rejection may be treated with IV pulse steroids alone, while higher grades of rejection require both the steroids and more potent lymphocyte-depleting agents. Treatment of ABMR requires removing and shutting down antibody production using steroids, plasmapheresis, and IgG. In both types of rejection, maintenance immunosuppression should also be adjusted, particularly if the CNI levels were subtherapeutic prior to the rejection episode. One can increase the target CNI level, increase the dose of the antimetabolite, or add prednisone where appropriate. In the setting of infection, treatment is two-pronged immunosuppression needs to be reduced and the infection needs to be treated. Immunosuppression dosing needs to balance the risks of infection versus graft rejection. To treat CMV infection, IV gancyclovir is the first-line therapy for moderate to severe disease, and oral valgancyclovir would be appropriate for milder disease. The main treatment for BK nephropathy is reducing immunosuppression, and IVIG or sidofovir can be used if the infection persists despite decreasing immunosuppression. Finally, and prior to any immunosuppression adjustment, Always counsel with the transplant nephrologist to reduce the risk of acute rejection while dealing with other illnesses. Let's finish with our medicine minute. Physicians and scientists in New York performed the first pig-to-human kidney transplant in October 2021 on a critically ill ICU patient. The pig was genetically engineered to grow a kidney that would be less susceptible to rejection. The kidney was only monitored for 54 hours, but during that time, the renal xenograft did not show signs of rejection and actually showed some signs of function. Whether other species could become a reliable source of kidneys remains to be seen. Who knows? We may discover that Dr. Jaboulet, who attempted this in 1906, may have been onto something. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled, For When You're in Trouble, an approach to acute renal allograft dysfunction in kidney transplant patients. This episode was written by Dr. Susan Thanabalassingham, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Khaled Shamseddin, nephrologist, and Dr. David Taylor, general internist. The Internet Work Series was created by Allison Lai and is executively managed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. Music production by Lakshmi Vasanthamoa. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
And don't forget to check out www.theinternetwork.com for associated resources and infographics. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.